I'll be reading from Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. All right, are we on? We're on, okay. Very good. I actually had someone that tried to turn my microphone on when I wasn't paying attention here a little bit ago. And so, not to give anybody ideas, but I am watching and I am aware, I guess. But there's a... Now, Landon, I appreciate your thoughts. I do take that as a challenge. That song is always something that hopefully touches all of our hearts, is that when we get into God's Word, it it changes us and transforms us to, to be something different. And I hope every time I share the message of God that somehow, in spite of my, my own personal shortcomings or whatever it may be, God's Word is there that, that gets into all of our hearts and touches us and, and transforms us. Now, how many of you have read the book, uh, A Tale of... Of, t- of two cities. Has anybody read that? Okay, some, several of you have. That is a book by Charles Dickens that was uh, written and published in 1859. And apparently, according to my research, it is the most um, the most sold novel of all time. Uh, extremely popular for generations, and and it's a tale about London and Paris at times of great transition. And there's, I've not read it personally. I know the, the general story of it. But it just got me thinking about the text that we're going to walk through this week is, is sometimes people can look, just like cities, can look, these two big massive cities can look very similar on the surface. But what's going on down inside is something that is very, very different. And so today we're going to walk through a tale of two spiritual journeys on their way to Jerusalem. There is... Uh, these two people, these two spiritual journeys on the surface, look very similar. Both of them, is, and we don't know really anything about their early life at all, in fact, nothing from Scripture, but these men, from the little that we do know, must have grown up in homes, both of them are Jewish, they grew up in homes where they would have been taught the Scripture from infancy, and they would have had parents that would have told them, Someday you're going to grow up and you're going to know the words of God. These words that are going to save you. These words that are going to transform you. These words that are going to help you understand this God that we serve. And they would have both been young boys that grew up learning about this great God of Israel. The God that had walked them out of Egypt. The God that had again taken them out of slavery later. And the God that had that David had worshipped. The God of Elijah. The God of Moses. The God of Abraham. And they would have grown up thinking... I want to serve this God because I see how great He is and He's the only true God. I look around at what else is out there and none of it is worth following. And so I'm going to follow this great God. And both of these young men as they grew up got in touch with someone that uh, that really changed their lives. And they started following this uh, one of them, John the Baptist at least, maybe both of them. But they came in contact with this guy named Jesus. And they started following Him around. And they started listening to what he had to say. And they started, his words got into their heart. And they saw amazing things. There was a time where they were with him. That there was all these people followed him out into a wilderness area. And Jesus says, hey, give them something to eat. And we gathered, they gathered up all of what they could. And there wasn't anything near enough for 5,000 people to eat. And, uh, and Jesus takes some bread and some fish. And he breaks it apart and distributes it. And you're... These two guys are part of these, uh, this crew that distributes that food. And he saw it with his, their own eyes and saw how powerful that was for Jesus to do this miracle and feed all of these people out there. These two 
Men had walked with Jesus and they had seen people that they knew were blind. There was no way you could fake this, that their eyes were well covered up with scales and, and disease. And all of a sudden, Jesus would walk up and He would touch them and these men would, would be able to see. Or people that were crippled and you could look at them, you could look at their legs and see that there was no way on earth that this person could walk. Everything's twisted up. But Jesus would go up and He would touch them and they would stand up and they would walk away. And they had walked through and listened with Jesus to all of these teachings that he had given. And remember the time that he had, he had gone to a, to a mountain and, and sat down and people sat down to listen. And he talked about things that touched their hearts, about things that people could listen to the religious leaders and, and boy, they didn't see any light and, and warmth there, but they saw something different from Jesus and they were transformed and they were changed because of, of what they saw in him. And they... Uh, Heard Jesus talk about things that were, were different, that were strange. They heard the parables. And sometimes for days they would walk along afterwards and wrestle with those parables. And what is this good Samaritan? Did Jesus just really use the term good and Samaritan in the same sentence? And I can't hardly bring myself to say the word Samaritan. And he said, good Samaritan. And I've got to think about that. I've got to wrestle with that. And they heard all of these teachings. And they knew, in fact, some of them had said it out loud, that Jesus was this Messiah, this great king that was going to come. And they were walking with him on the way to Jerusalem. But as they went along the road, he continued to talk about this kingdom that was going to come. And, and you know, you, these guys grew up expecting this kingdom. They knew about this kingdom. They knew that this great king was going to be a king like, the, like King David and he was going to, to change and, and transform what Israel was all about and bring back the good old days. And as they're walking along... They come into Jerusalem and they realize that, that things are hard and this is tough. And, and on the surface, these guys look so similar. You see uh, Jesus going toe-to-toe with the religious leaders and them trying to trap him in his words and make him look foolish. And what Jesus does is just gently turns the message around to them where they have nothing to say. And they were standing there when Jesus seemingly out of nowhere, says, look at that. Look at that widow right there. This, this is it. Look at that widow that is putting in all she has to live on. Now, that's the type of heart that I'm looking for that's going to be part of my kingdom. And these two guys are with Jesus as he walks out of the temple. And you look up and you see Herod's temple, just a beautiful, amazing, amazing structure. And Jesus, with tears in his eyes, says, there's going to be a day in the not-so-distant future where not one stone is left on the other. And he starts telling about how that's going to happen and this destruction that's going to come and take place. And it is heartbreaking for you. It's heartbreaking for Jesus. It's heartbreaking for everyone to listen to. And you think, how on earth could something like that happen to something that is so beautiful and something that's amazing? How would God allow His place to be destroyed and taken over? And why... Should I really run when I see the armies coming around Jerusalem? Is that what he's really telling me to do? And at the tail end of that discussion, you're listening. And Jesus says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on watch on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Oh, man. And as you walk out with Jesus, 
Those words are ringing in your ears. Jesus is saying, be careful, because there's a lot of things that can remove you from being who you need to be to be able to stand in front of the Son of Man someday. And as you're walking away, these two men have got some different things going on in their heads because there's some different things that are happening below the surface. If we go to our text that we're going to look at today, in John chapter um, 6, we'll get there, and we'll look at um, in Luke chapter 22 here in just a minute. But there's, we're going to look at what's happening under the surface with Judas Iscariot. Because Judas is one of the twelve apostles. He is chosen by Jesus. He's walked through Jesus and all of his ministry. But there's something going on below the surface that is dark, that can't be seen, apparently, right on the, on the surface for the rest of the people, even the people that are close around him. And in order to understand where Judas is at at this point in time, where they're on the temple grounds, we have to go back into Jesus' ministry a ways. In John chapter 6, verses 60, Jesus has just finished uh, feeding the 5,000 and then has talked with the disciples there about how, following me, I'm the bread of life. And unless you're going to really consume what I am all about, then you are not going to have a place with me. And it says that a lot of the disciples start leaving. And so this is what Jesus says here in, in the middle of these difficult teachings. He says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And Jesus doesn't say, oh, it's going to be a fine just says, okay, he's hitting what's really going on in their hearts here. Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? What if I am taken back up to heaven? Is that going to offend you as well? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are full of spirit and life. In other words, you're thinking from a human perspective and you're missing this. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Even in John lets the cat out of the bag a little bit and tells us that even among the twelve here, there's someone that doesn't, is not who he seems to be. Continue on the same verses here. It says that Jesus went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. In fact, when you get to Jesus, he's been executed a that are, that are waiting for his return, or waiting for his resurrection, or whatever's going to happen at that point in time. It says the number's about 120. Jesus feeds 5,000, all the people he heals, all that sort of thing. There's a lot of them are not disciples at this point in time. They may be admirers, but they're watching Jesus from a distance. And many of these who had called themselves disciples left at that point in time. And Jesus said, You do not want to leave too, do you? He asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. And again, John just lets a little bit of the cat out of the bag here saying, that even one of these that is really close to Jesus is not who he seems. There's something very, very dark going on below the surface here. When we fast forward a little bit into Jesus' ministry, we see something else from John about Judas. This is 
as Jesus is in Bethany, he's going right into Jerusalem, the last week or so of Jesus' life. And he is at the house of of Mary and Martha. You remember Mary and Martha? They're the ones that, that had some conflict about who was doing the right thing, whether listening to Jesus or preparing dinner, what was better, all of that. These are friends of Jesus. And he is there, and he is, is part of this, uh, uh, this celebration or, or meal that they're having there. And it says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Because what Mary does is Mary takes some perfume and anoints Jesus with it. And Judas says, well, wait a minute here. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Do you see what, what happens here? Is Judas makes a moral argument. What was given to you, Jesus, this anointing, this perfume, this should have been used for something better. See, Judas makes a moral argument that, oh, he's trying to call everybody higher. That's what it looks like here. But the reality is, is he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Oh man, this does not look good. This is getting bad real quick here. I want you to think about a couple of things. Let's take a time out and, and look through this a little bit. On the surface, what Judas does is offers, again, a moral objection. But below the surface, there's darkness lurking. And this is an important lesson, is that darkness often raises itself as a moral objection to the good that others are doing. Let me say that again. Darkness often raises itself as a moral objection to the good that others are doing. So Judas, he's not, he's not about to say, man, you know, I'm selfish and I'm really upset about you um, uh, anointing Jesus with that, that uh, perfume because I wanted that money myself. Judas is never going to say that. But he wants to look really good and so he finds a way in order to do that. But I think about what's going on in Judas's life up to this point in time, because apparently he is the treasurer of the, the money that the disciples have in order to live on and do ministry from. But Judas is helping himself to what's in the bag. What brings a person that has walked through times with Jesus, has been sent out, has shared the message of God, has experienced um, and seen the healing of Jesus, has heard all of this discussion about the kingdom and, and has listened to the parables. What causes a person like this that has a front row seat to everything that Jesus is at this point in time to say, man, I'm just going to take more out of the bag than I'm supposed to. And I have to think... And I have to try to put myself in Judas's position. And maybe as time is going along, Judas is, is excited about this kingdom that Jesus is bringing. He's excited about all that Jesus is teaching because apparently no one else is picking up that Judas is, these, he's having these spiritual struggles deep down within him. Maybe when the rest of the 11 apostles got together after everything shook out with Jesus, and his execution. Maybe they said, man, there was always something a little strange about Judas, and now it all makes sense. We don't know. But at this point in time, he's walking along just as one of these inner circle with Jesus. And maybe somewhere along the line, Judas said, you know, Jesus keeps talking about this, this kingdom that he's bringing. And this kingdom does not fit with the kingdom that I understand that he was going to bring. You know, what I wanted deep down inside is I wanted to be this, this big shot. I wanted to have some power in this new kingdom. But Jesus keeps walking off with Peter, Andrew, and John. And 
I don't get to be a part of those discussions sometimes. And, and I realize that you know, Jesus keeps talking, when he talks about the kingdom, he keeps talking about suffering. And you know, honestly, I'm getting sick and tired of all these discussions that Jesus throws out about money. I'm tired of it. And I deserve more. And I deserve And what I always anticipated is that I would have a good life, that I would be taken care of. And whatever's going on here, all the rest of these 11 disciples maybe live in the way that they are with Jesus is good enough for them, but it's not good enough for me. And I deserve better. And so he starts taking more out of the bag. And he provides an opening for something really disastrous to happen later. And maybe he starts with something that's very little. Oh, this doesn't matter. It's no big deal. It's just a little bit. Nobody will ever miss it. But he opens the door for something. And this is the next section of where we're at in the book of Luke. It says, Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. They tried to humiliate him publicly and have the crowd turn against him. It did not work. And so they got to find a way to deal with him, but they are afraid. And whenever we make decisions based on fear and anxiety, it never goes well, okay? That's what the religious leaders, this is all decisions made on fear and anxiety. It says, then Satan entered Judas. And if that scripture right there doesn't scare us, I don't know what does. Because Judas had opened himself up to being a pawn of Satan here. It says, and Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, and that was probably the town or the area that he came from. One of the twelve, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. And Judas, as Satan enters his heart here, he's given Satan the opportunity to do so. He um, allows Satan to enter him. Satan enters him, however we want to say that. And he goes to those religious leaders and says, all right, I'm the one that can hand Jesus over to you. Jesus, as we know the rest of the story, and we'll walk through some of it uh, from some angles from from Luke's perspective here in the next weeks, is Jesus is, is taken, he's put on trial, and Judas at some point realizes, and Luke doesn't talk about this, but Matthew does, he realizes that when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Okay. Maybe Judas and some of his and thinking about it from the his the best possible perspective, maybe Judas thought, Wow, if I can just start this revolution, if I can just start this kingdom, if I can just have Jesus arrested and turned over, then what's going to happen is the people are going to rise up, we're going to have this battle, and this kingdom is finally going to come. Best case scenario. It seems like there's money involved, and so I think Judas's motives are less than that. But it says he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And instead of going to Jesus and confessing, the one that really could heal him, he turns to the religious leaders who had no intention of healing anybody. And they say, what is that to us? That's your responsibility. We don't care. <laughs> it's all you, buddy. You did this. They take no responsibility themselves. And so Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and he hanged himself. 
And the religious leaders, that boy, they're honorable. They just say, well, because this is blood money, we can't do any, we can't put it in the temple treasury, so let's just buy a field with it. That's honorable, right? Yeah, that's great. But I think uh, when I look at history, it's so sad. Because Judas was one who, um, well, he put aside the providence of God as, as God used this for good things to happen. And, and uh, he would have never wanted this for Judas, but this is where his heart was. And this is how he opened his heart to, to Satan. But I look at this and I just think, man, what a sad story. What a tough situation. If someone who had so much hope and so much promise at one point in time to be one that was chosen to be part of Jesus' inner circle. And what he did with it is there was something under the surface he allowed to be dark and to just consume him. And uh, over time, I imagine as Judas, as a young man, uh, as a following Jesus initially, if he would have known how this would have ended out, it would have terrified him because he would have never thought, I'm going to be the one that does the absolute wrong thing at the wrong time. There's someone else that appears very similar that is walking alongside Judas during these times. He heard, saw the miracles. He heard the teachings. He is one that rebuked Jesus as well, just like Judas did. In fact, when we go back to this section of Scripture we read here just a minute ago, where Jesus has fed the 5,000 and then talked about discipleship, Jesus says, and we read this, but I just skimmed over it quickly, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And look at Simon Peter's response. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter shows courage, a courageous response saying, no, Jesus, you're it, and I'm in, and I'm going to follow you no matter what it means. Where else are we going to go? We might as well follow you. I mean, you're the one that has the words of eternal life. We're not hearing this stuff from anybody else. We're in. When you look uh, another place here, um, in Matthew 16, Jesus asks him after, he says, who do the people say I am? Oh, you're one of the prophets or Elijah or somebody. Jesus says, yeah, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter shows courage here again. Courage to say, I believe, Jesus, you are this king that's going to come and I'm going to follow you wherever. Here's another example, and this is, happens right after Jesus or Peter shares that he believes that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah. It says, Peter took him aside because Jesus tells him, okay, what it means to be the Messiah is to suffer and die and, and that's what's going to happen. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. No, Jesus, you are confused. You do not understand what the kingdom of God is about. You have missed it. That's not what's going to happen. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me and you do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. And so Peter takes Jesus to task here and says, no, 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 it's not, no, you don't understand. You've got to miss, you're messed up here. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You're thinking from a human perspective, not a spiritual perspective, and you're the one that needs to repent and consider what you're saying right now. We understand that Peter takes this correction. He doesn't quit, and he continues on. And we see here, Peter asked uh, right before, as he is in, or coming into Jerusalem there, Jesus says, it's going to be tough. There's going to be bad stuff happen when we get to Jerusalem. He's been talking that, about that a lot. And Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says to him, well, will you really? 
Really? Lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. In other words, by tomorrow morning, you're going to disown me three times. And so don't tell me about going to death with me right now. That's not where you're at. You're about to disown me. Peter takes this correction. And what happens, again, in the next little bit, is Jesus is arrested. He cuts off, Peter cuts off the high servant the high priest's servant's ear in the process, and Jesus says, put your sword away. I've not come to, to draw blood. And he, um, Peter, apparently, as we follow the Gospels, he goes and he, uh, he watches some of this trial that Jesus has put on. And he observes it from there in the, in the grounds and sees that Jesus is condemned to die, and he is devastated because before the rooster crows three times that night, he says, I don't know, Jesus, what are you talking about? I don't know this guy, I don't know what, he, what he's all about. Imagine, the, it says that Peter went off and wept bitterly. But when Jesus is raised, he comes back and he tells Peter in John 21, he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And I imagine Peter's looking at him like this. Yes, Lord, because he knows where this discussion may be going. Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. And three times they have this discussion, and Peter's feelings are hurt. And Jesus tells him, Peter, you're going to go places that you don't want to go someday, talking about the death that Peter's going to face. But he says, what I want for you, in John 21, verse 19, is to follow me. That's what I want for you. And Peter does. When we get into the book of Acts, we see that Peter is courageous. He's not above fault. And he, uh, we see that, it, that he makes some mistakes later on. But Peter is one that takes the correction of Jesus and continues on courageously. And God uses him to bear a phenomenal amount of spiritual fruit in the lives of other people. I wonder if G- Judas would have just been able to go back to Jesus Instead of, of going, to, um, going to the chief priest and confessing, I wonder if he would have gone back to Jesus and said, Jesus, I betrayed you. I confess. Peter probably would have cut his ear off. You know, that's probably, probably what would have happened. But do you think Jesus, knowing the character of God, what Jesus' response would have been? He said, come on back. Come on back. It's okay. I forgive you. Go and feed my sheep, because that's exactly what he did with Peter. This is something that Peter wrote towards the end of his life um, in First Peter. And it is not this, this rash young man that we see sometimes in the Gospels, but he's someone else, someone that has walked through the trials of life that understood something that Peter from way back there didn't understand. He's talking about trials and, and hard situations that we may face. He says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In other words, all of these trials and everything that you have to go through James 1 says, Consider pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance, 
develops spiritual maturity. And Peter is one that is writing from a position of spiritual maturity, encourages these people to say, don't give up, hang in there, because when times are tough, when times don't make sense, when things are, are seem like the obstacles are insurmountable, and boy, Peter experienced that, didn't he? God is refining you to have a faith that can last through anything. That's all that this is about. And be courageous. So you look at these two people here, these two spiritual journeys to Jerusalem, below the surface. We have Judas and we have Peter. And I love this picture here of this, this uh, iceberg. And um, I've seen icebergs from the air many times, but I've never been in a ship and gone up close to one. But I understand how they work is there's just a little bit of iceberg there on top that you can see, and there's a whole lot under the surface. And for Judas, there's a whole lot of darkness under the surface that he played it straight on top, but there was some darkness that he did not deal with. And because he had these unmet expectations about what life should be like, he gave in to fear, fear gave in to selfishness, bitterness, greed, dishonesty, and ultimately Satan entered him and brought him, when he had him right where he wanted him, brought him to destruction. Peter, on the other hand, had some unmet expectations. You see those, and he voices them. And he had some fear, but he took the correction from God and from others, Paul in one instance. He uh, demonstrated repentance. He grew from it like a gold in a crucible. And he spent his life bearing much spiritual fruit. Um, this uh, story of, of Judas is always, and, and Peter is always one that causes me to think. Now, if you were on that surfboard, what would you think right there? Yeah, I'm going to go pet that thing, right? I'm going to grab onto that fin and I'm going to... Yeah, no, maybe not. Because a big question all of us need to ask ourselves as we walk through life, and this is, uh, you know, this is a hard discussion, but what is below the surface? What are those unmet expectations that can lead me into sin and lead me into bitterness and lead me into dishonesty and destruction? And whatever those are, I need to deal with those and I need to see them for what they are. And we can, uh, I thought about just, and I can just give a few here and we're not going to go into this because I want you to, the scripture to speak to you this morning. But there's all sorts of unmet expectations that we can have in life below the surface. Uh, we can have a desire that somewhere deep within us, we understand that the good life is, is having a, a ton of financial security and, and uh, just just being in a great spot and, and being able to, you know, whatever that means. And, and we may just realize when we get along in life somewhere, man, that has not happened like I anticipated. That has not gone the way I wanted to. And here I am at a point in life and I'm not near as set as I, I wanted to be. That must mean that God is not who he says he is. And instead of adapting our expectations and seeing God working in whatever our situation is, we turn bitter and we go the, the direction that Jesus, Judas did. Or our health, maybe um, health, um, we have health problems come on and we think, wait a minute, I was expecting to be this healthy person and it just hasn't worked out this way and man, God must not be answering my prayers. And because of that unmet expectation, we, we turn negative and bitter. Or relationships, um, maybe um, think, boy, I thought that I was going to be married by now or 
you know, that's what I thought was going to happen and this is, God's not answering my prayers or, or maybe you're in a situation where you think, boy, my spouse is not what I anticipated and I deserve more and I deserve something different and our expectations are not matching up with what we see reality is. There can be some real darkness below the surface where we're missing what God is doing or wants to do with us right now. Maybe our, our job situation or maybe our church situation, whatever it may be, there's unmet expectations. I expected things to be like this or, or go like this. or I just expected God to be different. The God that I see in Scripture, I expect Him to be different. And all of those unmet expectations, we understand from the life of Judas, can be very, very dangerous for us because they can lead us into bitterness, they can lead us down a road to greed, dishonesty, and ultimately destruction. But the great thing is, and the, the good news of all of this, is we see someone who had his own baggage, who had his own unmet expectations, who had his own fears that he had to walk through. And what he did is whenever Jesus offered correction, he repented, he took it to heart, he uh, embraced the forgiveness, the spiritual growth, and produced throughout his life spiritual fruit. Peter is a great example for all of us in this. And so wherever you're at today, that's something I'd encourage you, is as we go into um, the... The good news here in the next weeks, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Phenomenal story about what God did with Jesus there. Let's all of us remember that Satan is alive and active, and he is out there continually working to try to enter us in different ways. And oftentimes that is because we look at life and think, I deserve something better. God's not providing, and so I'm going to take things into my own hands. And oftentimes that can lead down a road that can be really destructive for us. I think that's a good thing for all of us, myself, all of us, just to consider and think about is is what's going on inside of me below the surface because uh, that's where God can really work, but it's a place where Satan can really really uh, uh, do his and wreak his havoc as well. And if, man, if there's something that's going on in your heart right now and you think, oh man, Chris, how on earth did you know what is happening in my life? I'm not. I just, okay, I'm just trying to preach through God's message, whatever it is, and to give it Sunday. And, and I know you because I know myself, maybe. But the reality is, is all of us have our, our things that we may be wrestling with. And if you want to talk or you want to pray, then I'm available. The elders are available. You're welcome to head to the back. You're welcome to just give us a call this next week and help us. Let us help you uh, walk through whatever may be below the surface. And so you can live the abundant life of Jesus with joy. If you'd like to become a Christian, you're welcome to head to the back as well. And uh, you're welcome to join the kingdom of God today.